0: You're listening to an event from the U.S. Institute of Peace, part of the USIP Podcast Network. For more information about our work around the world, visit USIP.org and check us out on social media.
1: Or good evening, depending on where you are joining us from. My name is Rick Olson, and on behalf of the United States Institute of Peace, I welcome you to this virtual event between the TTP and the Durand Line, Pakistan's policy toward the Afghan Taliban. As many of you know, USIP was founded in 1984 by Congress as an independent national nonpartisan institute dedicated to the proposition that peace is possible, practical and essential for US and global security. Through research, training and analysis, we make peace possible. Once again, uh, the Durand line is in the news. The de facto boundary between Afghanistan and Pakistan, it takes its name from Henry Mortimer Durand, British colonial official who drew the line in 1893, more or less in conjunction with uh, the then ruler of Afghanistan, the Iron Amir Abdur-Rahman. A fun bit of trivia, Durand was rewarded for his service in the subcontinent by being made uh, Her Majesty's ambassador to Washington in the early part of the last century. Like all of its predecessors, the Afghan Taliban regime has refused, in principle, to accept the Durand line as a border. Moreover, the Taliban uh, is allowing its Pakistani counterpart, uh, the i Taliban Pakistan, or TTP, as we will refer to it today, uh, to operate in Afghan territory. Moreover, since August 15, there have been clashes between Taliban and Pakistani forces, and Pakistan continues to fence the line, effectively demarcating what the international community, or most of it, uh, considers a border. All of this raises questions whether the Afghan Taliban intend to astound Islamabad with their ingratitude for decades of sustenance during their fight against uh, the US and NATO. To unpack these questions and others, we have a terrific panel of experts here today. Uh, Kamran Yusuf is a Islamabad-based senior foreign affairs correspondent at the Express Tribune. With over 20 years of experience reporting in Pakistan's English press, he writes and reports on issues of Pakistan's foreign policy. Dr. Asfand Mir is a senior expert in the Asia Center at USIP. Previously, Dr. Muir held various fellowships at the Center for International Security and Cooperation at Stanford University. His research interests include the international relations of South Asia, US counterterrorism policy, and political violence, with a regional focus on Afghanistan and Pakistan. Elizabeth Threlkeld is a senior fellow and director of the South Asia program at the Stimson Center. Before joining Stimson, she served as a Foreign Service Officer with the US Department of State in Islamabad uh, and Peshawar, uh, where she and I had the pleasure of working together. Uh, She is uh, the recipient of a State Department Superior Honor Award, several Meritorious Honor Awards, and the Matilda W. Sinclair Language Award. So we will start with a panel dialogue um, and then try to leave some time at the end for questions and answers, so I encourage members of the audience to send in their questions through the USIP website. So without further ado, why don't we get started? And what I'm going to, I'm going to turn first uh, to Kamran for the view from Islamabad. And um, I would like to get a sense from you, Kamran, about the, uh, what is the nature of the policy debate on Afghanistan in Pakistan right now. Is it focused on diplomatic recognition for the Taliban, which Pakistan has not uh, yet actually formally done, Um, uh, and and although Pakistan has encouraged uh, the international community to uh, make de de facto arrangements with the Taliban government? Or is it on the humanitarian crisis? Or is it on the TTP uh, and the Durand line? So Kamran, we'd love to hear your views on these thoughts.
0: Well, first of all, uh, thank you very much, uh, Ambassador Olson. uh, After uh, meeting you after uh, uh, many years uh, through virtually, Uh, I think the sense here, uh, Pakistan is simultaneously uh, pursuing strategy. Uh, I think uh, on the face of it, uh, of course, uh, given uh, the precarious humanitarian crisis unfolding in Afghanistan after the US exit, uh, that is the priority. Pakistan is trying to tell the international community that this is. Uh, not the time to abandon uh, Afghanistan, uh, even if you don't like the Afghan Taliban, but uh, the cost uh, would be bearing by the people of Afghanistan. And also importantly, Pakistan is also uh, pushing for uh, the revival of the uh, economy because Pakistan understands that Afghan Taliban uh, may be now in charge, but uh, in order to sustain uh, uh, this government, it is important that uh, the uh, economy is revived and that is why uh, even uh, uh, Pakistan has formed this uh, uh, apex committee headed by Prime Minister Imran Khan where all the key uh, federal ministers and officials are represented and uh, we have recently seen a meeting of that uh, apex committee but at the same time of course uh, if we recall uh, when Taliban took over uh, uh, there was a sense of celebration uh, within Uh, uh, Pakistan, particularly Prime Minister Imran Khan, uh, when famously or infamously said that the people of Afghanistan broke the shackles of slavery. Uh, The reason for that statement was that Pakistan was hoping that the return of Afghan Taliban uh, would serve Pakistan's interest, particularly uh, the threat posed by Tariqi Taliban, Pakistan, and all its affiliates. Uh, Six months now, we have seen the Taliban are in charge. And uh, we have seen that the number of attacks uh, or the spike uh, uh, in the TTP attacks that we have witnessed. So uh, in Pakistan, of course, uh, there is a sense, of course, the critics of uh, Pakistan's policy believe that uh, uh, things are not uh, you know, unfolding the way we have hoped for, because we thought that the Afghan Taliban uh, uh, would neutralize the threat posed by the TTP But that is not happening. The sense within uh, the Pakistani officials, I was speaking to a senior Pakistani official who was directly dealing with the Afghan Taliban. Uh, He said that or rather described the relationship between Pakistan and the Afghan Taliban on the question of TTP, same as Pakistan used to have uh, with the US. Because United States over the year pushed Pakistan to take action Uh, against uh, so-called Quetta Shura or the Afghan Taliban leadership uh, uh, believed to be over the years uh, having sanctuaries inside Pakistan. But Pakistan, in return, always used to tell uh, the Americans that, look, that this is not our priority. Our main threat, of course, was TTP. And also, given the fact that Afghan Taliban in future will have a role in Afghanistan, so we will not like to antagonize a group who would be a part of the future government in Afghanistan. So now Pakistan is also getting the same response from the Afghan Taliban. When Pakistan government asked the Afghan Taliban to take action against the TTP, the Afghan Taliban say, look, that our main priority is to deal with Daesh Khorasan, or ISIS. And also they say that, look, we cannot take action against the TTP. What we can do, we can facilitate, we can mediate between you and the TTP. So this is the kind of situation that Pakistan at the moment is facing. But having said that, despite all those challenges, I feel still Pakistan feels that this is the best option at the moment that they have. They they will have to work with the Afghan Taliban, no no matter what other challenges are at the moment.
1: Uh, that 's very interesting, Kamran, and uh, the, the reversal of position for Pakistan in a way to uh, a, a parallel position to what the u s had is I think once again demonstrates that in international relations there 's really no concept of irony uh, but anyway uh, let me let me turn to my colleague uh, Asfandiar for some uh, opening thoughts on what what the threat, uh, what threat does the TTP actually constitute to Pakistan? and um, What is the Taliban's victory, the Afghan Taliban victory's impact on the TTP as an organization, and uh, do you think that the the Afghan Taliban is enabling uh, or restraining the TTP?
2: Um, Thank you, Ambassador Olson, uh, for the introduction uh, as well as for your for your question. It's an important question. Uh, I'm delighted to be here. alongside Elizabeth and Kamran to be discussing this issue. So um, so grateful for that opportunity. Uh, Afghanistan-based Pakistani Taliban forces are starting to inflict some, some real damage uh, on Pakistan. Uh, and recently we've also seen a surge in violence by some um, belowed separatists uh, who appear to be operating uh, from parts of Afghanistan even now. Uh, there's been an escalation in the free- frequency Uh, lethality, uh, and even intensity of violence over the last um, several months. I mean, I think the the reality is that the TDP has been emboldened by the Afghan Taliban's example. Uh, It is not just a cliche anymore, but I think it is evident from the TDP's activities, uh, propaganda, uh, even internal jihadi uh, chatter. Uh, And most significantly, the Taliban are providing what I think is de facto political asylum uh, to both the leadership uh, and the large fighting force of the DTP in Afghanistan. Uh, That has substantially added to the DTP's capacity uh, for, for violence. I think what should really concern Pakistani policymakers now is that some fighters of the Afghan Taliban, um, freed from their so-called jihad against the United States and the former Afghan government, are turning to the TDP, they would like to join the TDP, so that's a new dimension uh, of the threat. Uh, the Baloch insurgents are an interesting case. I think, you know, uh, many analysts had assumed uh, that, uh, uh, you know, while the Taliban would be supportive of the DDP, the Baloch insurgents were an easy case and they would restrain them. Uh, but it turns out that even the, the Baloch are, uh, uh, are drawing strength from the Taliban's example of defeating uh, the, the, the United States. Uh, and I have good information suggesting that the TTP has been helping the Baloch with some type of training and tactics uh, for a period uh, of time. Um, as a result, Afghanistan-based Baloch insurgents still have help, meaningful help in, in Afghanistan. I mean, the threat dimension I'd really emphasize is uh, is the fact that the TTPs, uh, demonstrated alliance with the Afghan Taliban is just, you know, it really hits you in the face. I mean, for years, the Pakistani government would argue that the TDP was largely a byproduct of the US presence in Afghanistan, combined with external support of the foreign Afga- uh, former Afghan government, excuse me, uh, in cahoots with the Indians. And we heard year on year elaborate stories from Pakistani policymakers about the depth of uh, Indian machinations uh, in Afghanistan as the fundamental driver of of terrorism uh, in in Afghanistan. And it was based on that assumption, Pakistani officials would often imply that the US exit from Afghanistan, the return of the Taliban, would really limit the TTP's threat that has clearly not happened the ttp chief is publicly reiterating his his pledge to the afghan taliban and the afghan taliban for their part are very evasive on on both the current status and the future of the ttp in, in afghanistan i found kamran's sort of comments and descriptions Um, you know, very interesting, very telling uh, on how the the Afghan Taliban are uh, responding on the question of TTP uh, to Pakistan's sort of requests and entities. Um, I think, you know, this also demonstrates the relative hollowness and unreliability of the Afghan Taliban's Counterterrorism uh, guarantees. Uh, Taliban committed to not letting anyone use Afghan territory for overseas uh, terrorism, but they're clearly permitting the Pakistan Taliban to direct its campaign of violence uh, in Pakistan from from Afghanistan. And so, ironically, Pakistan is the only country right now, or at least since the Taliban's takeover, to charge that under the Taliban, Afghan territory is being used for international terrorism.
1: Thanks, um, uh, thanks for that, uh, Esfandiar. It's, uh, it's very interesting. I mean, you know, first of all, you're, you're sort of describing also, um, as Kamran did, a, a bit of buyer's remorse on the part of, uh, of Pakistan. But the, the other question, I guess, that this raises is, uh, you know, which maybe we can get to later, is a question of uh, the relationship between the Afghan Taliban and the TTP. When I, when I was serving in Pakistan, it was pretty bad. And in 2014, with the beginning of Zarbi Az. TTP seem to be moving actually into opposition to the Afghan Taliban, and many of their members had actually joined Daesh. But now there's been this uh, repair in the relationship. It's it's very interesting. I wonder what the, the dynamics um, are there. But um, I'd like to turn now to uh, Elizabeth and uh, get into the question of the Grand Line uh, a little bit. Um, how, how you know on this theme of fire's remorse? How surprised is Pakistan that the Taliban is challenging the Durand line? And and should it be surprised?
3: I think that's exactly the question. It is far more surprised uh, than it should be in my view. Um, This is a movie that we have seen before. Um, So far the Taliban is hewing very closely to the script that it followed back in the 1990s when Pakistan tried on three occasions to uh, induce and and cajole the Taliban into giving recognition to the Durand Line, which you no know, Afghan government has has done to date. Um, those appeals were rejected, um, and the way that the Afghan Taliban at the time dealt with those difficult uh, approaches and and tried to smooth things over diplomatically was to say that it was an unsettled issue, uh, that their interim government hadn't made a final determination and in fact wasn't qualified to do so. And I think that echoes a lot of the language that we're seeing today from Taliban officials um, who have come out and said, you know consultations are are ongoing. That uh, this is a essentially a work in progress. And on the Pakistan side, it's been interesting to see how they've dealt with this because I think it was a surprise in many ways. Um, and and this is manifested most immediately in clashes that we've seen along the Durand Line, where Pakistan is in the final stages of fencing that twenty six hundred kilometer border. Um, And there have been occasions where Taliban forces have actually prevented Pakistan from continuing that fencing process and have carried off barbed wire, uh, made it difficult to do so. Uh, Pakistan so far has been trying to downplay those incidents, calling them isolated, calling them the work of miscreants um, and essentially saying that this is not something that's coming from the higher levels. Um, But fundamentally, you know, the Taliban are in a situation where they are trying to consolidate their control in in Kabul. They are facing a host of issues. um, And the thought that they would uh, take a stand and make a choice and either recognize the Duran line or just kind of let the issue lie, um, I think is a misreading of their own incentives to want to demonstrate that they are Afghans, they are not beholden to Pakistan. Um, And that's a difficult situation to be in. And I think we saw the recent visit um, of Pakistan's NSA to Kabul. It looks like there is going to be some sort of border management mechanism, um, which is encouraging because I think going forward, beyond just the the fate of the fencing process or uh, progress, If we are to see an influx, for example, of refugees out of Afghanistan as the humanitarian situation uh, worsens there, these are all issues that are going to put further pressure on the Duran line question. Um, so, So it seems to be another one where perhaps there was a misreading of why the former Afghan government had been so vociferously opposed. Um, I think it was seen through the lens of uh, kind of the Indian proxy conflict. You have figures like Amr al coming out and saying that Peshawar is the winter capital. And so perhaps there was more of an assumption than there should have been that with the Taliban in control, uh, that at the very least, that would become less of a front page issue, uh, but I think by virtue of the the ongoing fencing campaign, we're unlikely to see it it dying down anytime soon.
1: Uh, thanks, Elizabeth. So it does seem that you know all Afghan governments probably regard themselves as weak on this on this particular issue and not able to uh, actually take uh, a stance that uh, perhaps uh, real politique uh, might might dictate. Um, I'd like to uh, come back to you, uh, Kamran. Uh, uh, Elizabeth mentioned the, um, the recent NSA visit. Mouid um, uh, Youssef was, uh, was in Kabul. Um, I wonder if you could give us your take on the outcome of the recent high-level interactions, um, uh, you know, and, uh, and especially on these sort of border issues and this Duran Line question, and, uh, and what Pakistan is hoping will come out of uh, this
0: dialogue with, uh, with the Taliban. Okay, uh, uh, I agree with I agree with uh, Elizabeth uh, when she said that uh, despite all those uh, uh, recent incidents of uh, you know disruption to fencing, Pakistan is still trying to downplay those incidents as localized uh, uh, events. So although we have seen even statements from uh, the Taliban top leadership, even uh, uh, their uh, army chief, uh, uh, you know, objecting. Uh, to the fencing Uh, but Pakistan uh, at the moment feels that uh, uh, there are larger issues to tackle with so they are not going to bog down uh, on these issues and they feel uh, that uh, the officials that I have spoken to that they have understanding at uh, the leadership level with the Afghan Taliban and uh, because of this understanding uh, uh, after a few incidents now we have seen that uh, uh, there is relative calm uh, as far as uh, you know, the border situation or the this fencing is concerned. As far as the outcome of this uh, national security advisor's visit is concerned, of course, uh, this was part of the ongoing engagement. And uh, uh, Dr. Muij Yusuf uh, visited there uh, on the instruction of uh, Prime Minister Imran Khan. Uh, the official line was, the idea behind was uh, to get the first-hand account uh, of the needs of the uh, uh, Afghan government uh, to run the economy uh, uh, to help them as far as the uh, humanitarian uh, assistance is concerned uh, because uh, pakistan uh, is worried that if there is economic collapse uh, if there is a severe economic crisis uh, that may uh, push uh, more people uh, to enter pakistan and pakistan feels that it cannot afford and as far as larger security issues are concerned uh, i believe that i don't think so that Uh, is being dealt with at the level of the NSA. I believe the military authorities are dealing with those issues. So my sense is uh, that uh, uh, Pakistan uh, still feels that it can uh, uh, handle uh, uh, these issues uh, uh, if we talk about these uh, border fencing, uh, because they feel that if, for example, uh, they respond to such provocation at the local level, there may be casualties uh, on the Afghan side or Afghan Taliban side, And that exactly Pakistan feels the detractors or the critics of Pakistan policy wanted. So Pakistan will not get bogged down. So my sense is that Pakistan uh, will still try to downplay those incidents. But at the same time, if you hear the uh, ISPR uh, spokesperson or the chief military spokesperson stating that the fencing uh, will complete and uh, there will be no disruption. So Pakistan is also trying to uh, send a message uh, to the Afghan Taliban that this border mechanism will here to stay. Uh,
1: thank you, Kamran. One uh, uh, one question is given the uh, follow-on question given the um, the history of the of this region um, and uh, and historical ironies. Uh, is there any possibility that Pakistan is uh, considering an, a hedging strategy uh, toward Afghanistan as it did uh, during the the, the previous uh, several decades while the U.S. was in Afghanistan? There. There are some reports in the Afghan press that um, uh, Chief of ISI uh, General Anjum uh, met with members of the, the
0: Taliban's opposition. Um, how, how would you interpret that, if indeed? I think I think uh, I believe that this is part of Pakistan's uh, strategy to dispel the impression that Afghan Taliban are their only favorite. If you uh, you know recall, uh, this has been Pakistan's strategy even. Uh, When uh, uh, the President uh, Ghani's government was there, uh, I believe uh, Pakistan's current uh, special envoy on Afghanistan, uh, Ambassador Sadiq, was the one who was instrumental uh, in reaching out to all those non-Pashtun elements uh, because uh, uh, Pakistan over the years faced this allegation that uh, we were only backing the Afghan Taliban. So I don't think so that... uh, Uh, Pakistan feels that the opposition figures or those who can resist the Taliban are strong enough that Pakistan really can bet on them. So this, I believe, is part of the overall strategy. And I think uh, even during conversation or private conversation with the Afghan Taliban, Pakistan has been keep telling the Afghan Taliban that look for the larger international legitimacy. It is important that you should uh, include all other elements within the uh, uh, Afghan uh, political spectrum uh, in the government because it is vital even for your own uh, international uh, legitimacy. And I believe uh, this uh, uh, could be the reason that uh, the ISI chief uh, also meeting uh, with those uh, opposition figures. And this is part of the ongoing strategy. Thank you. Um, I'd like to now pose a a sort
1: of a question to all of the panelists. I may may turn to Asfandiar first for um, some thoughts, but uh, it's notable that the the government of Pakistan at several points has suggested that its TTP problem, perhaps, and and certainly its Baluch uh, insurgent problem uh, is in some way the result of Indian machinations, and certainly we've learned uh, in Washington over the past two decades that, um, uh, uh, in terms of uh, thinking about Pakistan as policy towards Afghanistan, uh, the question of India is is first and foremost. So. Um, I'd, I'd like to get a sense whether um, uh, people think that these uh, ideas of Indian machinations behind the TTP, which seems a little far-fetched on the, on the face of it, um, whether there is uh, something to that, uh, is this um, gamesmanship or, is, there, or is, is Pakistan actually really facing a, 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 a renewed uh, threat? So maybe um, I'll turn to Asfandiar first, if, uh, if that's okay, your thoughts. Um, look, that that's a very important question, and uh, you know, I have,
2: I like you, like others who watch the region, have heard these, uh, uh, these, uh, you know, this this talking point of the Pakistani government for a long time, for almost a decade. It has been very salient uh, in any kind of conversation uh, about the the nature of the threat, about the fundamental drivers of the TTP as a threat to Pakistan, and I've looked very closely. Uh, at the TTP and in my work research, uh, including field research in both countries, uh, I find uh, that um, uh, you know, the, the principal external drivers of the TTP are uh, Afghan Taliban, uh, both as an ideological example uh, and as uh, you know fellow jihadi uh, brethren on the ground uh, and Al-Qaeda. Uh, I think there have been contacts uh, between uh, the the former Afghan government and the TTP. There have been some some dealings uh, as well, and you know some you know some interaction um, has uh, has materialized into a let live let um, uh, arrangement in different parts of uh, of eastern Afghanistan. But on balance. You know, even when the former Afghan government was still in charge, the areas where the DTP was most influential were regions where the Afghan Taliban were more powerful, uh, had more territorial control. So I think the, the uh, you know, the charge that the that Indian machinations have been driving the DTP and are perhaps still continuing to uh, be a, a major source of support uh, for the TTP. I think that charge is is overstated.
1: Um,
0: would anyone else like to take a shot at this question? Uh, yes, I would like to uh, add. I think uh, 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 truth lies somewhere uh, in between. I believe that I understand that primarily the TTP uh, is a homegrown problem that Pakistan has been facing but uh, you know that uh, in uh, geostrategic politics uh, there are always external factors that take advantage and i think uh, uh, one view is that given the fact that uh, uh, india has always accused pakistan of backing the insurgency uh, in the uh, disputed kashmir region and many people even cite uh, you know the famous uh, you know comment by uh, the current uh, uh, Indian National Security Advisor Ajit Jowal, uh, where he talked about offensive-defensive, effectively meaning raising the cost of Pakistan, uh, you know, uh, uh, in, in case it continues uh, so-called, what they say, the cross-border terrorism. So uh, I agree overall with Asfan that, yes, uh, primarily it is uh, the Afghan Taliban and the TTP. Uh, it, it, TTP is a, primarily is a homegrown problem for Pakistan. But then there are external elements, particularly with regards to uh, Baloch separatists. Uh, uh, There are elements where we feel that uh, uh, the Indian involvement is there. Even if we see recently, uh, Indian External Affairs Ministry making statements talking about the human rights violations. Even on one occasion, we saw on the Indian Republican Day, Indian Prime Minister directly talking about uh, the problem of Balochistan. So there are uh, elements, external elements, uh, but to say that uh, it is all because of uh, the the problem is all because of the external elements i think that is uh, a, a bit problematic uh, if pakistan uh, really uh, pinpoints uh, that and, and and rectify that uh, issue then i believe that uh, even the external element uh, can be dealt with uh, effectively
1: um, elizabeth did you have any thoughts on the uh, on the indian hand question
3: I think just briefly, um, Asaniar and, and Kamran have covered the the view from the ground and, and kind of the, the nitty gritty of it. But politically, you know, I really do see an element of scapegoating here. Um, and it is a way of uh, explaining away difficulties and grievances that lie within local populations. Um, and that is a, an element of this that I don't think should be overlooked. In part, because if you start to buy in too much to that narrative, if you start to drink your own Kool-Aid, the theories of how to deal with these conflicts, uh, you find yourself um, trying to solve a problem that is a different one than than really exists. And so it distracts away from thinking about you know governance challenges and reforms in the part of northwest Pakistan um, where the TTP is largely engaged. Um, what are some of the underlying factors that are adding fuel to this movement beyond uh, what's happening across the border with uh, support and facilitation from the Afghan Taliban? Um, and that's concerning to me when I see those kind of all-encompassing narratives about uh, the Indian hand supporting something that that actually does have. Um, really challenging and important local drivers that should be considered.
1: Um, thanks, Elizabeth. Yeah, and, and speaking of local drivers, I suppose that, that leads me to ask um, uh, Asfandiyar, um, what do you think is the future of, uh, of the Afghan Taliban-mediated uh, talks uh, between the government of Pakistan and, um, uh, and the TTP? Um, And particularly since the ceasefire uh, has lapsed and the TTP is again on the offensive, um, what, what are the prospects for some kind of political resolution? And perhaps if there isn't a political resolution, what happens then?
2: Right, right. Um, look, I, I, you know a little bit on the on the background of the talks that have taken place because I think that it's, uh, uh, the the talks in you know, themselves were very interesting. You know, right after the Taliban took over, uh, Pakistan appears to have turned to long-standing ally uh, Siraj Kani, uh, for for talks with the TTP. Uh, and international negotiations certainly made some some headway. These negotiations took place in in Afghanistan. A ceasefire was announced, uh, as you note. Uh, in in early November. Um, and there were reports that uh, in these in the negotiations right before the ceasefire uh, or you know or the factors that really led to the ceasefire included Pakistan's commitment that would release uh, maybe over one hundred TDP prisoners, including some high profile leaders. Uh, that are in detention in Pakistan, uh, but it was suspended by December, um, and the TDP uh, alleged that the Pakistani government wasn't um, keeping its its commitments, and Pakistan didn't really offer a satisfactory answer as to what really happened. Um, I would say this was a very strange attempt at a peace process uh, with the TDP, and that's because, you know, the, the Pakistani public uh, was completely caught by surprise uh pakistani government had been telling the public at large uh, that the tdp was either a problem of the past or function of these external designs against um against uh, pakistan and then out of nowhere the pakistan's top leadership including president alvi and then uh, prime minister khan uh, both were talking about pakistan offering amnesty uh, to the to the TDP. So, so i think the fundamental challenge on the pakistani side Uh, remains that the Pakistani public has not been primed about the nature of the challenge uh, that Pakistan faces uh, and why a political settlement is is important. And and so I think uh, any type of meaningful peace process with the TDP remains a real shock to the system Um, and and any type of meaningful concessions that Pakistani negotiators can offer to the TDP, I think they will remain very difficult to deliver on from a purely domestic uh, political perspective. You know, on the side of the TTP, it's interesting to agree to a ceasefire or a political process um, um, was somewhat puzzling, less so than Pakistani government's decision to sue for peace, however. Uh, I think the TTP was using the ceasefire, much like the Afghan Taliban did uh, against the US to gain the release of, um, you know, imprisoned senior leaders. Uh, It also wants to improve its battlefield position, wants to sneak in fighters into Pakistan and the ceasefire kind of offered that that opportunity. And the TDP may have wanted to curry favor with the the nascent government of the Afghan Taliban to help it consolidate power in in Afghanistan because TDP realizes that the Afghan Taliban do depend on, on Pakistan. Um, I think for now these talks uh, remain stalled. Uh, Pakistan has uh, tried to revive them, um, and there's been a new uh, vertical, uh, with you know, with the which has been opened with the help of some tribal leaders. Uh, but you know, those discussions are, are not going anywhere, to the extent I can tell. But that doesn't mean Pakistan is going to stop. I think uh, reviving some sort of a political process dialogue ideally with the help of the Afghan Taliban, will remain a major priority on the Pakistani uh, side. I also think Pakistan is starting to think about some cross-border military action. Uh, we could see some type of drone strikes. Uh, Pakistan has a growing fleet of Chinese armed drones. Uh, we could see more regular airstrikes. Uh, I think there's, there's also uh, a suggestion of a, you know, for boots on the ground type operation, but the discussion appears to be, uh, you know, fairly, um, uh, you know, nascent in its sort of strategic thinking. Uh, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not convinced that Pakistan is quite there yet. But the military option uh, appears to be increasingly on the table as well.
1: On the uh, on the military option, um, you know, since you've studied the TTP extensively, I wanted to ask a couple of questions about how they, how they, they view themselves and their positions. Um, you know the, one of the one of the cliches we heard repeatedly during the Afghan war was the uh, Taliban saying uh, that uh, uh, that uh, the us. had watches, but they had the time. Uh, and I wonder if if the Pakistani Taliban has the same sort of view with regard to Pakistan? Does it view itself as the inevitable victor? Um, and And if so, what are what are their goals there? And then And then a second question, it just occurs to me in our discussion today. Uh, has the TTP ever taken a position on the Durand line?
2: Um, I think, you know, b- both very interesting points on um, on the TTP's um, thinking on an asymmetric strategy. I think, you know, they also, s- similar to the Taliban's fancy and attritional campaign uh, model. Um, you know, 10 years ago, when they launched their campaign, they were, they were much more blunt. Uh, they went after... Uh, major targets in pakistan's main cities uh, but this time around they they appear to have a sense that um, you know a, an insurgency on the low boil which really focuses on uh, you know pakistani state targets is most likely to uh, to deliver them some type of uh, political leverage strategic advantage which then they can use uh, to uh, negotiate a, a, an end state uh, that is most beneficial to them. And that end state increasingly appears to be uh, control of the Pakistani uh, tribal area. Uh, and you know, and that leads me uh, to the response to your second question on TTP's position on the Duran line. Uh, I think the TTP um, uh, shares uh, some of the precepts um, of the Afghan Taliban on the Duran line question uh they they generally don't accept the border um they do not completely align with the Afghan Taliban's conception of a you know of a broader pashtun heartland uh but they generally see the border as as you know somewhat bogus uh and uh, you know and, and and they don't feel bound uh, by that
1: um interesting um Elizabeth, um, on, on the question of the, uh, of the Durand line, um, what, what, do you, what do you see as the possible outcomes uh, for uh, both for Pakistan and Afghanistan? And if I may, a little bit more, more broadly, um, is there a role for the international community on this issue? I mean, I noticed, I saw a, a sort of a very fragmentary press report yesterday indicating that Pakistan has raised its concerns um, with uh, border issues at the UNSC. Um, and I just um uh, uh, many Afghans talk about a parallel between kashmir and uh, uh, and um, uh, the Durand line, but I wonder um where you would see this going um both bilaterally and perhaps in a more uh, in a larger multilateral sense
3: it's a great question um I think for the reason that Aspanyar mentioned uh in terms of increasing chatter, increasing thought about potential cross-border operations uh, from Pakistan into Afghanistan, that is something that would further inflame um, a really difficult situation right now in terms of the sensitivity of the border. Um, The way that I would see this playing out, um, and I think what we've seen so far is, like I was mentioning previously, the Pakistan side attempting to downplay uh, what we've seen, but still maintaining that it will continue border fencing. Um, the Taliban, meanwhile, uh, claiming that the the border is illegitimate, uh, but also saying that it's, it's kind of a, a discussion that's ongoing. Given all of the other challenges facing Afghanistan right now, facing the Taliban, it would seem to me that it is in the interest of both sides to let that issue lie to the extent that that is possible um and to focus instead on you know humanitarian issues uh broader ct pushes and i think that's also part of the challenge for the international community that there is already limited attention going to afghanistan these days and as you rack and stack those priorities, uh, I think it's hard to make a case that the Duran line in and of itself figures very highly. What I would say though is, you know, when you think about peace building and, and USIP, goodness knows, uh, has folks who could weigh in on this int- in from kind of a comparative context, but. There is always the challenge with AFPAC relations of the Duran line as kind of the underlying issue that, at least to my mind, is seeding a lot of the broader instability that we're seeing play out in the in the counterterrorism space. You know, I think it's worth recalling that back in the early 1970s, it was Prime Minister Zulfikar Ali Bhutto who first uh, gave support to Islamist dissidents. Who would cross the border from Afghanistan um, in order to push back against uh, an Afghan regime that was pushing for kind of Pashtunistan and this irredentist movement. And that was the start, that was the seed uh, that then has grown into what we've seen in this cross-border region. Uh, to my mind, the Duran line right now is more of a symptom of, broader mistrust and instability between the two sides rather than the cause itself. I don't necessarily think that um, getting both sides to sign off the dotted line would get us anywhere. And I also think that that is is pretty unlikely to happen. Um, But it is worth keeping in mind in these broader conversations to the extent that the Taliban is looking for ways of demonstrating their Legitimacy, looking for ways of trying to make the case internationally. Um, I think this is one issue that bears some attention that I haven't seen as much in those conversations about human rights, um, inclusivity, that sort of thing. It's it's recognizing international borders that the UN or the US and the rest of the international community do.
1: Thanks, thanks, Elizabeth. Um, you mentioned uh, Ali Zulfikar Buto's um, uh, initiative, of course. You know, it, it, and of course, this goes back further. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things that certainly remembered uh, very clearly in Islamabad is that uh, that uh, Afghanistan refused to accept Pakistan when it was created uh, essentially because of this, this question of the, the Durand line. Um, so I'm gonna move to audience questions and just a reminder to the audience to please um, send in your questions uh, with the, um, uh, through the through the website, um, and if you could identify yourself and any affiliation, if you'd like to. Um, so um, the first question is from Steve Engelkin, who asks: Do the Afghan Taliban, especially the Hakani, still maintain their business interests, illicit uh, and illicit, on the Pakistani side of the Durand Line? So, does anyone want to take a stab at that? Ms. you are you? Yeah, in yeah. So, that, so that
2: you, you know, I have seen no indication that those businesses have been have been bound up since the Taliban took over. They certainly existed, you know, during the years of the Taliban insurgency, and I see no indication that there's been, there's been any major change uh, in in that in those activities. Okay.
1: Um, anyone else, Kamran? Do you have any any thoughts on that?
0: I uh, agree with uh, Aswan, uh, uh, because it's not just the Haqqani, Haqqani's, but I think many Afghans uh, over the years have their businesses uh, in Pakistan. So uh, I always believe that they always have a plan B. So certainly uh, expecting that uh, within a few months, they you know wind up all their businesses and their interests. I think that is not happening, at least in the foreseeable future. Okay, thanks. Uh, so Stephen
1: Biddle asks, uh, to what extent will PTP basing in Afghanistan affect the viability of their insurgency in Pakistan? Another another question laden with irony, given the history of the past uh, uh, the past few decades. But um, uh, maybe maybe again, uh, Esfandiar, do you want to take a crack at that one?
2: Sure, it's it's interesting uh, that the last time the TTP launched their their offensive against Pakistan in two thousand eight two thousand nine, um, they they had a safe haven, but it was inside Pakistani territory, mostly in the in the two Waziristan's. In uh, this time, um, you know, the the campaign that they're trying to run has a very different geography. Uh, they're mostly operating from Afghan territory, they tend to sneak in fighters into Pakistani territory who then go on to carry out their, their operation. So um, TDP has demonstrated that it can it can adapt, it can learn, it has politically adjusted. Um, it uh, suggests, its behavior suggests some, some military and tactical adaptation. Um, as well. Uh, So so I think uh, we are on track uh, for TTP mounting more violence uh, in in the months to come, uh, which can be extremely lethal as well.
1: Uh, Thanks. Uh, Thanks, Svandiar. Anyone else want to offer a commentary on that? Uh,
0: Yes, uh, I think uh, the one difference would be, of course, that we understand that uh, in 2007, when the TTP was formed, Uh, 2008, 9, 10, were the worst years. And I think in Islamabad, even at every weekend, uh, you saw a terrorist attack. And I think this time around, I uh, don't think so that the TTP uh, has the capacity to carry out such big attacks. The reason was simple, that earlier they had uh, their infrastructure uh, in the erstwhile tribal areas, they had large sweats of territory, but now uh, Pakistan army effectively controls that territory. So they may carry, atta- carry out uh, attack uh, like the one we saw uh, last month uh, right at the heart of Islamabad when uh, one police official was killed. But uh, uh, can they carry out, uh, uh, you know, major uh, offensive, major attacks uh, in urban centers? I think that is highly unlikely. But in the bordering areas, that is very much possible. Uh, we saw one of their propaganda video recently where they were using uh, sophisticated night vision goggles uh, using snipers and interestingly uh, we saw uh, president of pakistan recently met with uh, army chief general kamar javed bajwa and the president said in one of his interviews that uh, army chief told him that uh, these were the weapons actually left behind by the americans and we did not even have those weapons so this is the kind of threat that we are facing he said uh thanks.
1: Okay. Another another question um concerns uh the PTM and, and the question is on uh human rights violations, but I think I'd like to slightly broaden it um and ask uh what is uh what is the status right now of the uh, Pashtun Tahafas movement um and how does it play into this uh cross-border dynamic? Um is there is there any indication of uh, the TTP or the Afghan Taliban playing a role with regard to uh, to PTM? Um, I think some you know discussion of the the PTM uh, would be would be very interesting. Um, any thoughts?
3: I can kick things off at least, and then curious what Asundi and Cameron have to say. Um, so getting back to some of those governance and political grievances that we had discussed briefly earlier. um, I think this is really where the PTM comes in. It's a group that um, has been around for three or four years now and came up in response to frustrations over um, EJKs and mistreatment more broadly of the student community. Um, And I think especially specifically in the context of Uh, what used to be known as FATA, the federally administered tribal areas, and is now uh, after a process of political reform, uh, part of Pakistan's constitutional mainstream. So uh, this is a group that um, I think has been broadly vilified by the state, but is careful for the most part in its public statements to say that um, it is not uh, anti-state, that it is Um, simply a rights organization looking for Pakistan to make good on the constitutional guarantees uh, that all of its citizens are entitled to. Um, In terms of its current status, it is a shadow um, of what it once was uh, when it was massing large protests, in large part in response to uh, the pressure that it has faced from the state. Um, One of its leaders, Ali Wazir, um, is a serving member of parliament who uh, is currently jailed um, and has been for some time. Uh, this is just part of a strategy of um, ensuring that it is a group that is unable to, to mass the sort of large scale protests that we had seen some years ago. Um, that said, I think the seed of those grievances, what PTM was tapping into, is still there. Um, and as cell phone service and the internet increasingly come to uh, these very remote and peripheral areas, um, I would anticipate that this sort of movement could potentially gain ground going forward. Um, What PTM claims uh, is that there have been instances where um, reformed uh, members of the so-called good Taliban um, have come on side with the state and have... Um, essentially tried to control territory and uh, carry out acts of violence against them in order to um, prevent the movement from from gaining ground or from operating. Um, So there is uh, certainly at least an alleged um, overlap there or or areas where they interact. Um, But PTM more broadly, I think, is less the group itself, um, but more just the, the sense of grievance and frustration that uh, it was able to tap into is something that I think we're likely to see continue to play out going forward.
1: Um, thanks, Le- uh, Elizabeth. Uh, gentlemen, any any additional
0: thoughts? Uh, yes, yes, I uh, agree with, uh, of course, uh, uh, Elizabeth, that uh, the kind of momentum that the PTM had uh, a few years back, uh, that is not there. But one of the reasons uh, that uh, they did not have the momentum, at least uh, in the Pakistani media, usually uh, PTM activities uh, were uh, certainly you know, blackout. Uh, that was also one of the reasons. And uh, uh, I think uh, when uh, Pakistan tried to negotiate uh, with the TTP, and many people have actually asked questions that if you could negotiate uh, with the group, who carried out a massacre uh, at the army-run public school and carried out several other deadly attacks. Why can't you also negotiate uh, with the PTM, uh, which is nonviolent, which is organic uh, uh, movement, and also in a way in the long run can serve as to counter the ideology that is being propagated by the groups like the TTP? Because we have to understand that Pakistan is not only facing the issue of terrorism. But the real challenge is facing the extremist ideology. And many sane voices believe that uh, the groups like PTM, if they are mainstreamed, they they can serve uh, as as a bulwark against uh, groups like TTP and all other extremist organizations, particularly in the KPK province, where we know that uh, it is considered, uh, at least the erstwhile tribal areas, a hotbed of uh, all kinds of these militant groups. Thank you, Kamran. Uh, Asfandia. Yes.
2: Yeah, so, so I think uh, Kamran and Elizabeth have uh, uh, have covered a lot of important ground, and I agree with uh, with all that you know both of them said. Pakistani crackdown against the the PTM um, was was short sighted. It has sent a very wrong uh, political signal uh, to the aggrieved uh, populations, conflict affected populations of, uh, of of the former tribal areas. Um, but I would also sort of, you know, extend it to, um, uh, you know, to, to broader Afghanistan-Pakistan region. I think the Afghan Taliban are actively hostile to the, to the PTM. They see the PTM as having affinity with the former Afghan government. Uh, and that's probably one, one sort of additional reason as to why the Afghan Taliban support uh, the TTP. Uh, they do not, the Afghan Taliban do not want a movement like the PTM Taking hold uh, on the Pakistan side of, uh, of the border.
1: Yeah, very interesting. Um, so, there's. I'm going to just ask um, uh, one more question from the audience, and then uh, maybe we'll go to some sort of uh, closing questions. But um, uh, someone uh, has asked uh, what uh, the impact uh, is on China uh, of all of the of all of this uh, activity. As we as we know. Uh the Baluch separatists in particular have been hitting uh Chinese targets um in Baluchistan, which is of course one of the one of the principal uh places where CPEC has uh has investment. But uh I believe the GTP has also hit some of the uh the 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 CPEC uh projects. Um so uh I guess the concern is what is what is Beijing's take uh on all of this and how is this likely to impact. Uh, relations between uh, China and uh, and Pakistan going forward.
0: Sure. Kamran, do you want to take a shot at that? Yeah, yeah yes. Sir. Okay. I think uh, China is very worried, very concerned. As you talked about that uh, recently, we saw that uh, Baloch separatists carried out uh, and targeted the Chinese interests, and they have... Uh, you know, a majid Brigade that was particularly formed to target the Chinese interests uh, inside uh, uh, Pakistan. So certainly uh, this is one of the main talking points uh, between the Pakistani government and the Chinese officials. And even they are concerned that unless and until security situation improves, uh, uh, the progress on a CPAC, uh, uh, you know, can be undermined. And also we have to understand this is where Pakistan can also uh, have some leverage over the Afghan Taliban because, uh, uh, you know, the TTP and also Chinese are concerned with regards to the East Turkestan Islamic movement. We have seen uh, a recent report by the UN monitoring team where, say, where uh, it stated that uh, about 200 and 400 uh, ETIM fighters or members were actually relocated from a uh, uh, border from China to other provinces. So it appears while Afghan Taliban are reluctant to take care of Pakistan's interests. At the moment, uh, they are uh, keen to address the concerns of uh, uh, Afghan Taliban, uh, or sorry, China. But uh, at the same time, the worry is uh, they are uh, at the moment trying to restrain uh, ETIM, but at the same time protecting them. So that is where I think uh, Pakistan and China together can put pressure on uh, uh, Afghan Taliban, that look that if you want economic assistance, if you want our help, then you need to deal with these uh, elements. So this is, you know, interesting uh, equation going forward. Uh,
1: Elizabeth, any, thank you, Cameron. Uh, Elizabeth, any thoughts on China?
3: I think this is, I fully agree with Kamran, and it's um, it's a fascinating dynamic to see unfold. One question for me that I think is worth watching going forward is what the TTP strategy is like with Abhi. Um We were talking about kind of the impact and uh, how the next few months and years might play out. Are we going to see a return to these large-scale attacks against civilians? Uh, so far, it seems to be a slightly different strategy, perhaps, where it's a lot of, of targeting of security officials. Uh, it, we have seen these attacks against Chinese installations. And really, those are points of extreme pressure uh, for the Pakistani government. Those are the pressure points. And so, if you are looking to um, exert that pressure and and make things difficult for Pakistan. Um, those CPEC installations are a point of vulnerability, and we see in readouts, uh, for example, from Prime Minister Imran Khan's recent visit to uh, Beijing, where he met with uh, Xi Jinping. Uh, this issue was highlighted, and Pakistan said it was going to redouble its efforts. And so, I think it's it's very clear that uh, the Chinese are focused on this issue, and. Pakistan finds itself in in a bit of a challenging situation where it feels uh, perhaps unable to take all of the steps that would be necessary to to fully protect CPAC installations.
1: Thanks, Elizabeth. Um, uh, I think we've got just about a minute left, um, so um, I'm going to ask everyone uh, to you know give a few closing thoughts on what uh, what they think the future of Pakistan-Taliban relations uh, will be. Um, and uh, specifically whether all the, the dynamics we've discussed this morning are gonna cause Pakistan to rethink its relationship with the Afghan uh, Taliban. Um, I'll start with this, Fandiyar, if you wanna say anything on China, of course, I didn't give you a chance as well. So I welcome your thoughts on the big uh, final question, but anything you might wanna say on China.
2: I think Kamran and, uh, and Elizabeth have uh, sort of said, uh, all, you know, some of the points that I would have made, I think they made them. So I'll turn to the to the final question on Pakistan's policy towards the Taliban. I think the initial enthusiasm in Pakistan on the Taliban has um, has waned. You could even argue that it has mostly disappeared. Yet overall, Pakistan remains committed to the Taliban. I'm not expecting a, a major policy shift. I, I think the fundamental calculus of Pakistan that a so-called pro-Pakistan entity should rule in Afghanistan. I think that calculus remains intact. uh, And and Pakistan wants Indian political influence in Afghanistan to be be marginalized. So these days, I imagine Pakistani policymakers are asking themselves the question that, what happens if the Taliban are weakened, uh, specifically in terms of Indian influence uh, in Afghanistan? Will it go up or will it stay the same? I think the answer they're coming down to is that, if the Taliban are weakened, the Indians are going to gain somehow. Uh, and that for them is reason enough to, to stick with the Taliban for the foreseeable future. That doesn't mean that Pakistan's commitment to the Taliban is set in stone. Uh, I'd say, uh, you know, I think back to Pakistan cooling off on the Mujahideen government in the 1990s uh, in, you know, in a year or so. Uh, so more in terms of instability in Afghanistan can alter uh, Pakistan's calculus. And finally, if the TTP. Uh, start hitting some of these more sensitive targets, especially Chinese infrastructure in Pakistan, I think that can alter Pakistani calculus uh, fairly quickly.
1: Thanks, Ms. Um, Elizabeth, any final thoughts?
3: Yeah, I, first of all, I just really enjoyed this conversation, um, and thanks so much for including me. and. Maybe if I could take things back to that great analogy that Kamran started us out with uh, where Pakistan now finds itself on the other side of the table um, in having these uh, discussions with the Afghan Taliban. I think I might extend that in another direction too, where um, similar to at least as as I saw it, you know, the U.S. was very invested in trying to help support and facilitate a stable and prosperous Pakistan, Um, but in so doing and putting uh, brand USA on projects and development, um, that was really difficult in a place where uh, public opinion of the US was uh, largely in the single digits. Um, I think Pakistan now is in a similar situation, in a way, perhaps less severe. Um, Pakistan needs a strong Taliban. It doesn't want pa- uh, Afghanistan to fall into, you know, civil war or to uh, to become a, a failed state. Um, but the question of how you get there, how you provide that support without recognizing the Taliban but also just something as as simple as, um, you know, providing assistance and technical support. I found it so telling um, that in response to a comment um, that Prime Minister Khan had made um, of having instructed his officials to uh, kind of work with the international community and provide skilled manpower to Afghanistan, there was this response from, I think it was the Taliban's deputy information minister who said, essentially, there's no dearth of educated and skilled manpower in Afghanistan. And so you're going to keep running into this sovereignty consideration. And that's where I think the the Duran line dynamic, this discussion comes into play. Um, So lots to be seen going forward, but uh, I think this is an issue that will continue to to resonate.
0: Okay. And uh, last word, Kamran. Yes. I think a couple of days back, a U.S. special representative on Afghanistan was on USIP and he, stated that uh, the us has no option but to work uh, with pakistan on the question of afghanistan and i believe that given the current scenario i think pakistan also has no option but to work uh, with the government uh, in afghanistan and with the afghan taliban because they have uh, you know uh, paid a huge price many people believe and i don't think so that uh, pakistan will revisit or rethink uh, its strategy they uh, may continue to tolerate the issue of TTP or a few incidents here and there of end line, unless and until if there is something huge and big happens, I don't see that Pakistan dramatically changing its attitude towards Afghan Taliban.
1: Okay. Well, let me, uh, let me thank all of the panelists for a, a fascinating uh, discussion. I think we covered a lot of ground here. And, um, and thanks very much uh, to uh, our audience uh, for tuning in and joining us this morning.